Welcome to Rich in Relationship. And today we have back Jessa Zimmerman, who I like just adore on site. She is a <laughs> certified sex therapist and she has a company called Intimacy with Ease. How are you today, Jessa? I am good. I'm good. Just starting my day over here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm I am actually pretty well into it. You're West Coast? Yeah, West Coast. Oh, it's early for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just getting it. I just had a big breakfast with a friend. So we were, uh, Jessa and I, you know, before this actually starts, there's the meeting before the meeting. One day I'm going to start recording the meeting for the meet before the meeting for people. So Jessa and I are talking and we had this topic that it was going to be reigniting the spark. But actually what came up was um, desire disparity. Right. And I was sharing with her how the last time we spoke, I, who have been working with people for years, had this aha moment that disparity and desire doesn't just happen with sex. It happens with everything. Right. It just uh, some people, you know, want more money. Some people want less money. Some people love to plan. Some people hate to plan. There's always, especially in a strong partnership, because strong partnerships are. Uh, usually each person has their own strengths separate from the other person. So uh, of course there's going to be a disparity when both people have different strengths and some overlap. And when they, maybe they have the same values, but they prioritize them a little differently. You know, there's always going to be some kind of disparity. So today we are <laughs> actually going to talk about disparity and sexual desire. Yeah. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. <laughs> I know and everybody thinks it's like this really big deal in this problem. Like we're supposed to want the same amount of sex, but that is not true. There's always going to be a disparity. Yeah. And uh, before we get really rolling, I, you've already answered this question for me once, but I'm going to ask you again. Okay. What is it in your life that led you to be passionate about the work that you're doing today? Well, it's a combination of growing up in a very sex positive household with very happily married parents for 52 years, mm -hmm. combined with my own struggles to do that in my own life for a while. So I, I had lots of positive sexual experiences, but I was married and I didn't want sex and I was avoiding it. It ended up in divorce. In fact, all four of us kids of this family have been divorced. So it's like that was not enough to equip us for success. So this drive, they're really an obsession. What's it take to make relationships work combined with a real sensitivity about the suffering people have when their sex life isn't working? Because part of my training, a sex therapist said she considered sex therapy to be grief and loss work. And that was just like, oh my God, you know, how true there is serious grief when you're not intimately connected with your partner. And it was like, okay, that's what I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That is so much deeper than the first time. I <laughs> I've had more coffee this morning. <laughs> when you get to know each other better too. Right. Um, I sort of love the 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 grief angle. Yeah, yeah. there is. Uh, I think there is. You know, when one partner wants sex and the other one doesn't, for some reason, for whatever reason, uh, it it can be very. It can feel very disappointing. It can feel like you're not loved or not right. wanted, and it actually it may have nothing to do with you. Well, here's the thing. It almost it has very little to do with you. It's not impossible that we are contributing to our partner's lack of desire if we're being a jerk or there's power struggles or we're fighting or there's other relationship issues or you're doing something and sex your partner doesn't like. Something like that can be at play, but mostly people's desire just works the way it works. And it works differently for two people. And one of the biggest traps with desire discrepancy is for the person with more interest to take this personally. Because here's what happens. If somebody takes it as rejection 
or I'm not important, or I'm not attractive, you know, I'm not loved, whatever, then it, it changes the meaning of sex from this is someplace we go together and share a connection to you need to do this so I feel okay about myself. Right. Yeah. And that is just not engaging for the lower desire person. You know, and as human beings, we can do that anywhere and everywhere. So like we can uh, attach our self-esteem to our job review. Mm-hmm. You know, so what, of course that would happen in the bedroom, which is much more intimate and much more entangled, emotionally entangled than work. Yeah. And for most people, they just think it's such an obvious connection to make. If you don't want sex, you're rejecting me. I mean, it it goes so quickly. They're not even aware. It just seems like, of course, that's how we take it. But to understand that, wait, maybe your partner's desire, you know, maybe they're exhausted. Maybe it works differently. Maybe it's the kind of thing that they have to warm up. There's so many things that are going on. Um, But taking it personally really transforms the sex. And it makes it so unpleasant for the other person over time. I had a client yesterday who was telling me about how her husband um, likes to put, put his hand between her thighs when they're sleeping at night. Uh, like sometimes she'll be asleep and his hands are cold or whatever. And he just likes the contact. It's not even, it's not even a come on. Right, right. He puts his hands between her thighs and then, you know, it gets all sexy. Yeah, right, right. It's just a really simple physical contact thing for him. And that because she suffered trauma as an athlete with her coach, sexual trauma. Yeah, yeah. When she's caught off guard by that kind of intimacy, she actually jumps out of her skin. Right. And so that's like a great example. And he's hurt by this, even though he knows about her history. You know, in the moment, he doesn't make that connection between what happened to her when she was an an adolescent with somebody she really trusted, you know, and had a sense of betrayal around sexuality with. And this moment, you know, where she suddenly caught off guard you know, she, he, he just like afterwards the next day he'll go, Oh yeah. But in the moment he's like, what do you mean? You know, I just want to yeah. be close to you. And he, yeah. he personalizes it, you know, even though, right. and that's in a very extreme example, but it, it's uh, it's a, it's, I think this is true. A, a good deal of time. And that's not to say that people don't get angry with their spouses and sexually stonewall them. Yes. Yeah. That can, de- that can definitely happen. <laughs> I want, even though I have a desire, I'm not giving it to you because I'm mad at you. That's a completely different situation. It is. It is. And that, that'll certainly play out. That's going to affect somebody's willingness to be intimate. Or, I mean, <laughs> the other thing that can happen if we want to go dark is like the ability to have just like really bad sex. Can I say, yeah, I can say anything, right? Like it, to, the sort of a hostility of giving a really bad blow job. It's an adult show. Okay. So there's, you know, you. <laughs> version is not recommended for children. Okay. Okay. So there's like the hostility that a partner can show by giving like a really bad blow job. Mm-hmm. Like on the surface, I'm doing this thing for you, but I can make it awful and be, make it clear. I don't want to be doing this. And it's just sort of like, ew, this whole thing is just icky, you know? So withholding, doing a bad job rolling your eyes, you know, all the signals that we can send a partner that we don't want to be there uh, creates, I don't know, I think it creates damage, really. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, you know, just thinking about that, uh, uh, reluctantly performing. Oh, yeah. So many ways to go with that. You know, yeah. uh, I was actually reading uh, the Torah and and also the, the New Testament. And there's all kinds of scriptural stuff about this that, that would imply that you're supposed to give yourself willingly to your partner, even when you don't want to, 
which just seems which is absolutely if you read if you read between the lines that's not what it's saying but you could if you could interpret it that way and i've had a lot of couples who have come to me with exactly that problem you know um i've always tried to be a good wife to him i had sex with him even when i didn't want to you know because it's our faith and I'm thinking about how destructive that is. Yeah. So here's the thing. You can have sex for your partner from a place that you can feel good about. Like, you know, I'm not really into it. I'm not really feeling it, but I'm really happy to participate with you. I, you know, I can be here in, for you in that way. And it doesn't really cost me anything. Right. But then there's this line we can cross to, I'm doing this for you. And I really don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. And that causes damage. Maybe, you know, I don't know about one time, but certainly over time. So I'll have couples just like the one you're talking about who for years, somebody has been showing up and having sex out of sense of duty or obligation, or I'm supposed to meet my partner's needs, or they're going to be grouchy tomorrow if I don't. And they will hit a wall where they cannot do that anymore because it's so unpleasant. And, and you've taken this thing that should be this lovely way to share pleasure and connection with each other and turned it. Yeah. And turned it into something. The last last time you were here, it's real sex is an expression of love of self, not just something we do that that the other person has release. Right. And so it really, it's a, there is a way to do this where it's become, I mean, I use words like toxic and I really believe that like having sex that you don't want to be doing over time. is just so icky, you know, and people feel that. And it's not good for either person. The person that's got more desire and say, well, at least I'm getting something. It's like, well, no, this is actually not worth having. This is harming you too, because you're aware your partner doesn't want to be there. This can't be fulfilling. Like you're longing for your partner to like want to engage with you. And so, and so that I'm not diminishing people who have that belief system. You know, if you go uh, wider in those texts, there's there's all kinds of stuff about yes, yeah, submit yourselves one to another, but also you know you can go through periods of time where you don't want to have sex with each other for by mutual agreement you know for whatever re- for whatever reason you know there there's it, people are encouraged to do that and then but then there's the really big picture which is that um, I, I'm not so sure about uh, on Judaism but on the Christian side which is where this tends to come up more uh, there's the idea that you're supposed to, supposed to, the ideal is to live in service to one another, mm. to live in service, to, not, not like, not like um, I'm a servant who does things regardless of how I feel. Right, right, right. Real, but real service, which is I love and I care about you and I wouldn't want you to do anything that felt uh, like it was out of alignment with how right. you were feeling or your beliefs. And that's, I right. think that's really what we're talking about here. It you know, is. Is these uh, couples who are, there's a disparity. One person wants it more than the other. Sometimes it's the woman and the, and the man. Uh, and the, the person who wants it less is going through the motions because they feel honor bound or duty bound. And there's no conversation happening about it. Right. And so really what's missing is, you know, how do we, and this is a question for you as the professional, how, when you have this disparity, how do you, find a place of commonality so that uh, one person doesn't feel like they're being denied because they're bad or the other person is angry or they're not good enough or the other person you know, isn't giving of themselves even when they don't want to. And the whole quality of the sexual experience, speaking from personal experience, forget <laughs> my clients, I can tell you that when sex happens on that level from either place, that the quality of the experience is actually less it, and you it deteriorates absolutely you start, to, you start to question 
you know, this is when people who have had mad chemistry all of a sudden go, who are you? Like, I don't even want to touch you, you know, yeah. and, and, and there is hope out of that, but it's in the meeting of these two things. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So, the, and what you're describing, I call that the crumbs on the floor. Like the person who's not very interested throws crumbs on the floor and the other person's willing to get on the floor and eat them. And the whole thing is just like, I don't know, it's like degraded. I mean, it's just so icky, right? Like this is not what sex should be. So part of it is understanding, well, first of all, just normalizing that there's always somebody with more interest than the other person. Mm -hmm. in we have in everything, not just sex, right? And there's a, and, and so the lower desire person has the control generally. I mean, and they are not choosing it. They don't want that control, but they're the one that's, saying yes and no and when, right? So they have what the other person wants. Exactly. And we, and it's just inherent in the system. The other thing that's inherent in the system is some pressure, this awareness that your partner wants something more. So we can't like wait for that pressure to go away or, you know, we just have to like move forward despite that. But so some of this is, is about understanding how the lower desire person can be invited into an experience without commitment. So this whole idea of maybe, Right, because that person may have more what I call reactive desire, which is, I'm not thinking about sex right now. I am not in the mood. But if things were good and we started and I got what I needed, you know, maybe my body wakes up, I get turned on. Now I'd like sex. And we have to create an opportunity for that without expectation, because we don't know going in if that's going to happen for me or not. Right. So it's got to be okay. Mm -hmm. So there has to be way more flexibility around what we do together, let's enjoy what happens, let's broaden our idea of what even counts. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be any particular sex act or the particular outcome, like so much of the pressure and, and even the avoidance comes from the idea that, you know, we gotta do the whole thing or it doesn't count, you know, so goal oriented. And that happens folks in the, there, there needs to be a caring conversation, right? Intimacy is founded on caring conversation, trust and empathy. And if you're not talking about sex, you know, one of the things I said to Jessica just before the show began was having done the last show with her, I was talking about sex a lot more. Like some, un there was an unconscious inhibition about her almost. It was, it was really, it's actually incredibly liberating. But I, I, what's interesting is I find that couples often have, uh, feel, and might be completely unconscious, uh, uncomfortable talking about sex. And it's important to talk about, it's important to talk about disparities in any area of your life and maybe all of them because yeah. it all weaves together. Uh, and the, the other thing I want to point out about this is what you find out in those conversations is vital. Uh, like the, the first couple I told you about where the wife has ha had a sexually traumatic experience as an adolescent. Um, that's a really important contextually for her partner to remember, even if he forgets it from time to time. Right, right. Or another example would be um, I've got a power couple where both of them are kind of super alpha and they're success driven. And, uh, and what's happening is the wife is she will only want to have sex when she feels like all of the things in her business are tied up and she's not too and she's not too tired right <laughs> so she's she's not feeling stressed she's feeling relaxed which kind of makes sense right the guy on the other hand the more tense the situation is the more he wants to have sex so right. they have a they have a they have a even though they have a shared uh, goals personally and shared drive and sort of equal drive, and they're both super competitive, it shows up in their sexual appetites completely differently. Right. And, right. and until they started talking about it, um, he was thinking, 
oh, she doesn't care about me. Oh, maybe there's, you know, maybe I should look for somebody else. Maybe there's something yeah. wrong with this marriage. And right. she was thinking, why doesn't he freaking understand? You know, I have so many balls in the air. How I can't just, I can't just drop everything. And like for her, if she, when she did give in, she would have to fake orgasm oh. or, or, yeah. or just not have one. So here, this raises the, the whole point to me of, this idea, and I think a lot, a lot of the reasons people avoid these conversations or this issue is because they approach it with this assumption that it's going to be win-lose. Mm -hmm. You want more sex, I want less. Only one of us is going to get what we want. You want sex to relieve stress. I need to be unstressed to have sex. Only one of us is going to get what we want. And really, the whole point of this is to get two people on the same side of the table looking at the situation and getting really creative and flexible around how do we get a win-win out of this? The whole uh -huh. point is like, we have to put this together in a way that this is engaging and fulfilling and working for both of us. And it's not a math problem. It is not like average, how many times you want sex and how many times I want sex. It's not about frequency. It's about how do we approach this together, committed, like you were saying before, committed to each other's happiness in this and our own, right? Yeah, and so interestingly with that couple, the solution was, they both needed to learn ways to relieve stress that wasn't necessarily about, in order to have sex, you know, in order for her to be uh, relaxed enough to want to have sex and for him to not be so driven that he felt like he was been denied all the time, they both needed to have more mindfulness, meditation or prayer in their lives. They both needed to learn how to compartmentalize their work experience more. You know, there was a lot of little things they needed to learn. To, and so that sex could become a joyful sharing again instead yeah. of something that I that I can never have because I'm I'm so stressed all the time or something that I always have to have because I'm so stressed all the yeah, time. Yeah, or something I have to give you, right. you know, as opposed to something we're sharing. And as, I, I, as I worked on that and talked about it, as you pointed out, they found what the win was and they found that, right. sex, that sex wasn't the problem. Right, right. And I would imagine that that couple found or would benefit by finding <laughs> Let, how many ways can we be intimate and close and affectionate and appreciate all of those and not put everything in our sex basket? Like it's got to look like this and we do this thing with this outcome. I probably right? it's just like to you. <laughs> did I, I can't remember if last time I said, I, I think about sex like going to the playground. Did I, did we talk about that metaphor? Oh, tell us oh okay. So I, I, I say this all the time. I think of sex like we're going to the playground. It is the outing that matters. It is not what we do when we get there. We don't go with an agenda. It's not all about going down the slide. You know, it's like, we just go and we start and we get inspired in the moment. We get, how long do we want to do this or that? Or it, it just doesn't matter. Like you literally can't fail. Mm -hmm. And if you approach it like that, you're going to have, first of all, way more trips to the playground, right? Because it's not a whole big ordeal that has to end a certain way. And you're also going to find that, wow, you get kind of interested in play the more you go. I mean, you know, the more you go there, some of that time, it's like, oh, actually, I want to stay a while. You know, I didn't think I had any energy, but now I'm having a good time. So, you know, it sounds like the road through disparity has to do with a number of factors. The first is, is like honestly talking about that there is one mm -hmm. and, and start sucking the, the power, the power dynamic out of it. Uh, you know, all right. Uh, she wants it more than me or she wants it more than me and let's we're going to talk about it. the second part it sounds like is talking about it and understanding what's driving what's driving that need 
Um, and each situation is going to be different. I mean, there's a huge difference between the two stories that I shared, uh, but still the core at the core of it was conversation and understanding um, and looking for a mutual win. And it's not, and then I love this playground idea. The third part is how you approach it, you know, how, whatever you work out how, to approach it as playful and fun. And I, I would guess that that has to do with letting go of expectations. Yes. It's all about expectations. This idea that sex is only one thing, or it's supposed to go a certain way, or it's supposed to feel a certain amount of desire, or who's supposed to initiate all these ideas, you know, plus how are anatomy supposed to work? I mean, all, you know, yeah, layers no, and layers and layers of expectation that set basically set us up to think I we was, can fail. I was thinking about older couples, which there are a lot more of now, um, <laughs> you know, as the boomers age. And I was thinking about how uh, for women who are post-menstrual, it's a whole different experience. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, men have a whole nother set of challenges. And, and it's uh, there's a debate on whether, you know, for women, whether they should get hormone treatments to sort of, and, there, and there's risks that come with that, you know? And then for men, there's the whole uh, Cialis thing. And I'm not sure what the risks are, we come to that, but I bet you there are, because anytime we muck about with our body chemistry, you know, there's, there's gonna be a side effect of some kind. And how much, you know, at what point do you decide that that's so really important? Or, you know, is it okay to just meet as, as you are and have the experience that you have? Yeah, you know, when I, whenever I work with clients that have some sort of physiological, you know, actual physical sexual dysfunction, there's like, well, pursue the medical treatment avenue, at least have those conversations, see what's possible. Maybe at the end of that road, things can work like they used to work or like you want them to. In the meantime, it's like, what do we do with the pieces we've got? How do we have the best sex life we can possibly have given what's working and what we enjoy and how it is now? And maybe that's what we're going to have to do forever. If you either decide not to do the medical treatment or there isn't a cure, you know, a real solution, um, you're going to have to adapt anyway. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to, since this is a grown-up show, I'm going to share one more story. Um, I, ha I used to, I have actually a Facebook group. For those of you, I never talk about it. It's the Joyful Marriage Facebook group. And when I first started the Facebook group, a woman uh, took me aside. She private messaged me that her and her husband were having a problem. And the problem was, that her husband could not get fully erect, but he could have orgasm. Mm -hmm. And this was like, for her, a huge crisis, you know, because she had an expect, now for him, it, by the way, it wasn't so bad. Okay. Like, you know, he, like he could still have pleasure. Um, and she, she, but she was not open to, all right, so what are the possibilities here? Yeah. What, if, if this is going to be an ongoing thing, you know, if, uh, there's all kinds of things you can go to physical therapy for and do for, I think they call it seat work where you do kegels as a man or a woman mm -hmm. will help with this. There's all kinds of supplements you can take that it's not going to fix the problem or make it perfect, but it's going to enhance the experience. There's all kinds of sort of homeopathic naturalistic ways you can address it. And then there's, you know, the sort of the Western medicine approach, which is, we're just going to help you stimulate, but you know, within the playground of what was available, she was so decimated. That yeah. she couldn't look at it. The idea that maybe they needed sex toys. You know, maybe there are ways that he could pleasure her and and still have his experience. You know, right. that was right. almost alien and yeah. abhorrent to her. And you know, I encourage her to think of this. Hey, this is a loving experience. You know, it's about um, showing your appreciation and ex and love and expressing it any way that you would like yeah. that is comfortable for you. What I find with, with most people, most couples that I see that have some sort of sexual dysfunction like that feel relief 
when I say it can be different. Yeah. But but occasionally there are people so much. No, this is a crisis. It's got to be this way. It's really hard for them to accept that maybe they can't do what they used to do. And and often what I'll do in that case is sort of suggest, you know, it could just as easily be your body that had changed. No, yes, you know, right. It might not be his penis. It might be your vagina or, or whatever your penis. It's like this is just a body part. You know, they're fickle. They don't always work. And it, could be, what if it were you? And you yeah. couldn't have sex the way you used to. And so it's like, oh, sometimes that opens up some other door. Like, okay, we just <laughs> have to adapt. Yeah, I do a lot of work with physical therapists who, uh, and because they frequently have situations where a man or a woman has had some kind of physical trauma where they cannot perform or cannot perform as they used to. And there's difficulty talking about it and there's guilt and there's shame and that both people are kind of hoping it's going to go away instead of dealing with what they have in the moment. And so the work that I do with them is strictly around, not what you do, but strictly around how to have a conversation about it. Uh, you know, I've got a whole piece that I offer them. Actually, it's a free online course. I should probably start offering it to people. Um, but, you know, it's exactly that problem. How do we work through this situation, whatever it is? And folks, this is actually more widespread than you would know. I'm not, I'm not oh, yeah. saying that 60% of the population experiences, but a good percentage of the population has some experience of sexual dysfunction on one side or the other for whatever reason, you know, physiological, psychological, whatever. So it's if you're having this going on, you're not alone. There's no need to feel ashamed. There's no right. need to feel guilty about it. it, it it's it, it ha this this is These are, we're living in bodies. We're living in bodies. It is super common. I don't know the stats like off the top of my head, but even uh, women having pain with sex, it's some huge number, like thirty or forty percent, who have had pain in the last couple of months. I mean, it's just like mind blowing how common struggles are. And you know, I do want to say for somebody that's facing some sort of permanent change in their functioning. This is where the grief comes in. This is where yes. it's grief and loss work. Yes. It's reasonable to grieve a change like that. That means you can't have this thing you used to have. Any change involves loss, right? And so sometimes these really hit hard and it's, you're not supposed to just roll on like it didn't matter. It's like, it's okay to grieve that. And we have to adapt to the new normal. And I would add to that, uh, not just grief, but, but mourning. And so the, yeah. the distinction here is, when we grieve, we're, uh, we're experiencing the loss of something, we're, but mourning, we're making a decision that we're going we're gonna to be deep in that feeling up to this point. Yeah. That from this point on, we may still have experiences of grief, but it's, it's going to be in private time. You know, and the problem with all out grief is that that feeling can encompass our daily experience. It can take away from other areas of our life that maybe we don't want it to. And so the value of mourning is saying, all right, um, in Judaism, when someone dies, you sit Shiva for six days and for six days, you don't have to bathe. You don't have to feed yourself and you can wail and cry and tell all your friends how terrible you feel. And, they'll, and they're in there with you saying it is terrible. You are such a victim of the, of the loss of this person, even though they're still alive. You know, but they're having that experience of victimization. And, and for six days, you have complete permission to do that. And on the seventh day, you know, you bathe, you change your clothes and you go back to life and you still have grief. It's not like the person is undead. Yeah. You know, but you now you're going to save that for private moments so that you can function in your community again. And this is interesting. It's yeah. a concept that I, I love to see people apply to divorce and maybe also, you know, when your sexual experience is altering. Yeah, I love that idea. How can people find you, Jessa? Uh, intimacywithease.com. 
is my website. It's got my podcast on there and a free webinar and resources and, and uh, all kinds of information there. Oh, I want to be on your podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do that. Like that just sounds, I, I want to listen to your podcast. <laughs> you are so incredibly knowledgeable. And um, I can't tell you as a professional how wonderful it has been to get acquainted with you and to interact with you and dialogue with you. It's like it's stirring up so much for me. And I'm sure that it's stirring up so much for our listeners. Thank you. Yeah, you are welcome. <laughs>